If you have your Bibles, if you'll open them with me to Luke chapter 20, Luke chapter 20. Hope is one of the most important words in all the Bible. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and you have Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's a tree of life, a symbol of hope. You think of Noah and the great disaster of the worldwide flood, and as Noah and his family are coming out of the ark, they see the rainbow, and it is a symbol of hope. You think of the Israelites who are living in bondage under Egyptian slavery, and then God raises up a liberator by the name of Moses, who leads them out of slavery to a promised land, a land of hope. You think of David, the little shepherd boy who squares off against the mountain of a man, Goliath, and God uses him to bring hope to his people. I think of Queen Esther, who finds her people on the verge of genocide. And everybody thought that all Queen Esther was was a beautiful face, and they didn't realize that she was much more than just a pretty face. She was a woman of courage. She was a woman of strength, a woman of faith. And she goes into the king, and she brings hope to her people. I think of Ruth, a young bride who goes through the sting of losing her husband to death, and then she has to leave her homeland and begin her life anew, and it becomes a story of new love and a story of hope. I think of Rahab, a lady that had spent her youth as a prostitute. So much pain, the depth of her sin, the depth of hurt, and then she experiences forgiveness and grace, and Rahab becomes a story of hope. I think of Nehemiah, this man who leads people out of exile back home and he helps them begin rebuilding their lives and they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and start their lives anew. And you see Nehemiah being a leader who is bringing hope to people. I think of Mary, a farm girl from humble means. And then she's chosen by God to give birth to the King of Kings. And it becomes a story of hope that no matter where you come from, God can use you. When you read about Jesus' life and how he ministered, how he healed the blind, how he fed those that were hungry, how he reached out to those that were isolated and misunderstood, you begin to see that in Jesus we have a Savior that brings hope to those who are often forgotten. You have the darkness and the despair of the cross. And yet, it gives way to the bright hope of the resurrection. And in so doing so, it reminds us that at the heart of the gospel, there is a story of hope. The gospel is a story of hope that moves a believer from depravity, despair, exclusion, law, and rebellion to righteousness, life, inclusion, grace, and faith. And so if you are a believer in Christ, let me implore you today, don't let anyone steal, squelch, subvert, or silence your hope that you have in Christ. Because Jesus shed His blood 
and rose again to grace you with hope. Well, in Luke chapter 20 and verse 27, we come across some hope hijackers. And these hope hijackers come up to Jesus and begin to question him. So look with me there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 20 and verse 27. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came up and questioned him. Now, this is key to understanding this passage. Make sure you catch this. Some of the Sadducees, they were a political party in Jesus' days. And one of the things that they said is that there is no resurrection. Now, what that means is that the Sadducees believed that there was no resurrection from the dead. The Sadducees tended to be rather wealthy people. They were the intellectuals of their day. And so they had reduced Judaism down to the here and now. And so though they were religious, they didn't believe in the spiritual world. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe that there were spirits. They didn't believe that there was life after death. They didn't believe in the prophets who looked towards the future. The Sadducees emphasized the here and now, and this is all that we have. They were similar, similar to a modern secularist. A, a secularist would say, this is all you have. You don't need to talk about faith. You don't need to talk about being a spiritual person because none of that really exists. All you have is right now. And so forget about the future. Just live today. They're also similar to what we would call a religious moralist. A religious moralist might come to church, might embrace Christianity, at least in theory. But what the moralist does is try to, tries to cut away the supernatural or the spiritual or any type of emotional aspect to the faith and make it an intellectual pursuit of ethics and morality. So the Sadducees, the old joke is, they were sad, you see, because they didn't have any hope. They didn't believe in anything beyond the here and now. They were hope hijackers. Anybody know anyone in life that is a hope hijacker? You got any hope hijackers in your life? Uh, the rest of, rest of you all don't. Okay, okay. Uh, well, the favorite words of a hope hijacker are, yeah, but... They're always just trying to steal your hope. I appreciate from the bottom of my heart the prayers that you guys are lifting up to my dad. Before my dad, is he not to my, well, to my heavenly dad, uh, but for my earthly dad as he recovers from his stroke. And whenever you're recovering from a, scro- a stroke, uh, hope is important. If you have a hope hijacker, it can set you back. My dad says, hey, I walked 44 steps, and the hope hijacker says, yeah, but you had to have help. My dad says, hey, I I moved my hand today, and the hope hijacker says, yeah, but, you know, you still can't make a fist. My dad says, hey, I can't wait to go home, and the hope hijacker says, yeah, well, you still have a long way to go. If you ever meet those hope hijackers, you just need to tell them, go sit down. 
Just go sit down. Just, just zip it. Just, just, just be quiet. Maybe go watch the Avengers. You'll like the way that movie ends, okay? You're just, you're just a downer, a, a, a hope hijacker, okay? And the Sadducees were hope hijackers, and they bring a hypothetical scenario to Jesus. So lean in to the passage here and stick with me. In verse 28, the Sadducees come to Jesus and they say, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother has a wife and dies childless, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. Also the second and the third took her in the same way. All seven died and left no children. Finally, the woman died too. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will this woman be? For all seven had married her. Now you read this question and you start scratching your head and saying to yourself, what on earth is going on here? There was a custom in biblical days called Leverite marriage. And how this would work is if your brother married a woman and then tragically your brother died and they did not have children you as the younger brother were to marry the woman so that you could carry on your brother's legacy and have children in his name. And so, though it was, it's extremely foreign to our culture, obviously, it was something that they were familiar with in Jesus' day. And so the Sadducees come to Jesus with an extreme scenario. They say, Jesus, okay, what if seven times... Brothers marry the same woman in heaven, whose wife is she going to be? Now, what you have to realize is that they weren't really serious with the question. They were being smart alecks. Because remember, the Sadducees did not even believe in the resurrection. And so they were trying to belittle the idea that life after death, that there is any life beyond, and they were trying to make Jesus look foolish and try to embarrass him, and so they came to him with this hypothetical scenario, and as you might expect, Jesus has an answer. So Jesus tells them in verse 34, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are counted worthy to take part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot die any more. Because they are like angels and are sons of God, since they are sons of God, since they are sons of the resurrection. Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls the Lord God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living, because all are living to him. And some of the scribes answered, Teacher, you have spoken well. And they no longer dared to ask him anything. I used to have a Labrador retriever named Vinny. And Vinny was a good boy, and I was trying to teach him some basic commands. And so I took him out to the park one day, and I was trying to teach him sit and stay. You ever try to teach your dog that? And so Vinny was doing pretty good, you know, sit boy, sit and stay. And then I would turn my back and I'd get about 20 yards away from him and I'd say, come here, boy, and and he would come. And so we tried that one time. I was like, Vinny, sit, stay. And I walked away and 
whenever I turned my back, just about the time I turned my back, a rabbit came out of the bushes. And so, guess what? Then he didn't sit and stay. Uh, then he went after that rabbit, and instead of dog training, it turned into dog chasing right away because I was chasing Vinny trying to get him back. Well, this passage is a rabbit passage. It's one of those passages that whenever people read it, they automatically begin chasing the topic of marriage. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage is actually on the topic of the life beyond. What is life like after death? And is there such a thing as life after death? Now, here's what I know about the topic of the life beyond. Whether you go to church or not, that is a topic that draws interest. It's one of those conversations that people have around the dinner table, and they talk about, well, what, what's next? What is life like in the life beyond? So I want you to notice three things that Jesus teaches us about the life beyond. And the first thing is found in verse 35. Jesus teaches us that the life to come will be different than life here on earth. You need to understand that resurrection is not the same thing as reconstruction. When God raises you from the dead, He is not merely reconstructing your old body or reconstructing your old life. So whenever you go into heaven, it's not merely a continuation of your life here on earth. Rather, whenever you go to heaven, you receive a new body from God. Now, as you read the scriptures, it appears that our heavenly bodies will have some type of continuity with our old body. Maybe people could recognize you and know who you are, and there will be some similarities, but our heavenly bodies will not be identical to our earthly bodies. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about our heavenly bodies and our earthly bodies. And he says that your earthly body is like the seed that is planted into the ground, and your heavenly body is like the flower that emerges from that seed. And so he says in in chapter 15 and verse 42, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown in a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Now what Paul is doing is he is pointing out that there is a difference between our bodies and our life here on earth and our bodies and our life in the world beyond. Now, last week, I joked with you that in heaven, I, I think there will be Whataburger and Chick-fil-A nuggets. And uh, I, I still hope that's true. But, and brisket. I think there should be brisket in heaven. Good brisket, not the cheap brisket, but good, good brisket in, in heaven, right? But in reality... Many of the things that we spend our time here on earth pursuing, they simply will not be our pursuits in heaven. And Jesus says here on earth, you pursue things like marriage and family and career and having children, uh, security, and and those temporal uh, pursuits, those earthly pursuits will not be our heavenly pursuits. We will have a different calling to our life in heaven. 
Well, in verse 36, we learn a second thing about the life beyond. And that is that the life to come is forever. In verse 36, Jesus says, For they cannot die anymore, because they are like angels and are sons of God, since they are the sons of the resurrection. Now be careful here. Whenever Christians pass away, they don't become angels in heaven. I know sometimes we say that in a therapeutic sense of, well, heaven got another angel today. You are not an angel, despite what your mama said. You're not an angel. In the book of Hebrews, the scriptures actually teach us that we as human beings are actually much higher than the angels in heaven. But there are some similarities that Jesus points out where, like the angels, whenever we reach the life beyond, we will no longer live in a world or a body that is in certain decay. You see, death is the natural outcome of sin. The book of Romans teaches us that the wages of sin is death. So the natural outcome of sin is death. But Jesus, in his resurrection, conquered the sting and the power of death. And the curse of Adam was reversed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So whenever we are in Christ, rather than life giving way to death, death gives way to life eternal. Now think about that. You think about the power of the resurrection. Through the power of the resurrection, Jesus, our Savior, has taken death and he has turned it into life. That is something spectacular. This week I was talking to Patrick Williams. Patrick Williams has really been a blessing to our church uh, uh, during this transition period in kids' ministry. Patrick has been teaching children's uh, church, and he's also helped with VBS. Just an all-around good guy and just a great blessing. If you ever see him, just make sure to express your appreciation. But we were, we were having lunch, and we were, we were reminiscing about when we were young and in high school, and we were both on the track team. Back when I was in high school, I was fast. I was fast. Colton, I could have outran you. I was, I was fast. My track coach used to call me Flashlight. Flashlight Banks, that's what he, that's what he used to call me. Because, I, I, I mean, I, I could run. And I, I, still, I still like to run. But I am slow today. I mean, I am real slow. Even Colton could outrun me today. I, I, I am that slow. One time I was running, and uh, there were some women walking in front of me about where, where Paul's standing right back there. And uh, granted, I had an injury, but uh, they were walking, and I was running, and I saw them up in front of me, and I continued to run about a mile more, and they were still walking in front of me. That's how slow I, I, I am sometimes. You say, well, Ash, why don't you just train harder? Why don't you just work at it, and you can get faster? Well, I hear you, but you can't no pain, no gain, middle age, okay? Eventually, some things just start 
changing, and there is a natural progression in, in life. It really doesn't matter how many anti-aging creams you buy from infomercials late at night, even though it's a good deal. It doesn't matter how many prayers you lift up or how many good vibes you send out. Eventually, it happens to everybody, you age, and eventually, we even pass away. And when someone we love passes away, it hurts. When people we love leave this earth, it's hard. And we grieve. And it is okay to grieve. In fact, grieving is a testimony to our love. But for those of us who are Christians, we do not grieve as if we have no hope. Hope allows us to see the here and now entirely differently because we know that there is something beyond. And I would go so far as to say that it is hard for us to grow spiritually until we really begin grabbing a hold of this concept called hope. Because until you understand that life is an eternal gift from God, and nothing can separate you from God, it is difficult for you to live with the selfless freedom of being free in Christ here on earth. Whenever you understand that there is eternal hope, it changes the way in which you see life in front of you. And so Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 14 and verse 13, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep. He's referencing those who have passed away. And then he says, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no, what's the word? Hope. But since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Jesus says, I took on death, I conquered it, I rose again, and when you believe in me, you're going to do the same thing. And though we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope because we know that in Jesus there is life eternal. And then there's a third thing that Jesus teaches us about the life beyond in verse 37. And that is that the life to come will also be a reunion. In verse 37 he says, Moses indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, because all are living to him. So Jesus points out to these Sadducees this Bible story. He says, hey, do you guys remember the story of Moses and the burning bush? Well, in the story of Moses and the burning bush, God identifies himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he identifies himself in the present tense. And so Jesus is saying here, what this means is that those patriarchs of the faith, though they had died, they were still alive and with God. They were in his presence. And we have stories in our life of people that we love, people that we know, who have already stepped out of this life, and as believers, they stepped into glory. And we believe that they are in the presence of God. 
and one day we'll see them again. I never met my grandmother. My grandmother, from what I understand, was an extraordinary woman. She graduated from the University of Arkansas in the 30s. Back in the 30s, not many women graduated college. She and my grandfather were beginning a life together. She was going to be the school teacher, and he was the principal in the little town of Wilmot, Arkansas. And then when my mother was just two and a half years of age, my grandmother tragically passed away. I never met her, but one day I will. One day I will meet her in heaven. I never met my father-in-law. My father-in-law passed away when he was my age. When he was 47 years old, he had a heart attack. Stacy was two weeks away from graduating high school. It was her prom day, and her father stepped into glory. I never met him, but one day I will. One day I will meet him. One day I hope to shake his hand and say, man, you did a good job on her. You raised her well. Thank you. I look forward to that day. I have a child that I've never met. Christmas Eve 2011, while we were leading the church to celebrate the birth of Christ, we were crying inside because quietly we were experiencing a miscarriage. But I, I believe that life is not just an accident. I believe that life is a miracle. I believe that life is a gift from a loving God. And I believe that motivated by love, Christ sent His Son to die on the cross for sins. And that Christ rose again. And He brought life to death. And that because of Christ, that child is innocent. Though that child would have been born with a sin nature, that child is innocent because until one is capable of moral action, they are not considered to be a transgressor. And so I believe that that child has eternal life because Christ gave his life and because Christ conquered death so that that child might live. And one day, one day I'll meet that little one. I believe that because as a Christian, we have hope. Hope is fundamental to the gospel story. The gospel is a story of hope. And it moves a believer from depravity, despair, exclusion, law, and rebellion to righteousness, life, inclusion, grace, and faith. And so if you are a believer, don't let anyone steal, squelch, subvert, or silence your hope that you have in Christ. Because Christ died and rose again to grace us with this hope. Let's be the people of hope. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as we come to a time of commitment? It could be that today needs to be your day of hope. It needs to be the day where you place your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And if today is your day, I, 
I would love to talk with you. I'll be here at the front. You can come and see me during this next song. You can come and see me after the service. And I would love to talk with you about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I also know that as we come into the room today that we carry with us, with us the stories of life. And sometimes those stories can tempt us to be fearful, to run away from God instead of running to God. But often the, the difference between fear and faith is hope. And so I pray today that as we've talked about hope that God has shown you, that you can trust Him, that He's with you, and He's walking with you every step of the way. Heavenly Father, we as the people of God in this community bow our heads before you, and we thank you. We thank you that the injustice and evil and darkness of this world are all temporary, that there is a hope beyond and a life beyond. And so, Father, we pray that you will give us the ability to go above the earthly line and gaze at you and see you in the heavenly realm and understand that this hope is not just something for uh, the seniors or those that are suffering, but this hope is something that until we really grab a hold of us, it's hard to live life as you would call us to live today. And so I pray, Father, that we will grab a hold of hope and be a people of hope. And may we take that into this life and live with the radical freedom of the gospel that moves us from selfishness to selflessness, that moves us to live our lives not merely rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but to live our lives giving to God that which is God's knowing that we can never outgive what you have given us being generous free graceful people that are alive through the power of the gospel and filled with a hope that is contagious drawing people to the cross of Jesus Christ through the power of the spirit thank you for this church may we be real authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It is in His name we pray. In His name we worship. Amen.